0: So, we're in the book of Philippians, and my hope is that we'll be encouraged today. Uh, I was reflecting on this myself, and, and you know, as a, as a preacher, you want to kind of put your money where your mouth is, and so I'm thinking, okay, what am I asking the people to do? How am I going to respond? Okay, I need to, I texted some people expressing thanks. Uh, you know, I had, had a number of pastors in college, and I expressed thanks to them, and, um, I got a really moving response from one of them. Um, you know, I said, "Hey, I'm just reflecting on God's work in my life. Thank you for your faithfulness during my time in Greensboro." And they said, "Question mark? I think you've got the wrong number." So I found um, I found the right number, and I texted them. Uh, but but I'm excited to reflect on God's goodness, and I, my hope is that you'll be encouraged to do so as well. Can we stand together as we? Um, Read God's Word. So this is uh, Philippians. We're going to read chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of jesus christ it is right for me to feel this way about you all because i hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel for jesus god is my witness how i yearn for you with the affection of christ jesus and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness and your graciousness to us. God, I thank you for those evidences of your grace at work in our life. God, I thank you for those men and women who have poured into me, who have sought to be conduits of your grace so that I might stand here today, certainly not perfect or complete, but better than I was. God, I pray that you would bring to remembrance those individuals who have ministered into our lives, who have poured out and sacrificed on our behalf so that we might be encouraged, of your work in our lives, and that we might be spurred on in our own lives to be a source and a conduit of grace for others. And and all these things, God, I pray that for your people that you would confirm and assure them that what you've begun, you will bring to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Not because we are excellent or awesome or because our performance is, is so effective, but because you, God, are at work. And God, when you make a promise, when you make a plan, you don't fail. So Lord God, we pray that you would draw us up by your spirit, open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word, train, change and transform us according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Um. Okay. So I want to ask the question, and I want us to think of this as we reflect on the, this this passage. Has the gospel really made a difference in your life? Has the gospel really made a difference in your life? We're all coming from different places. Some of you may be coming here because you were tricked into coming by a friend or you were convinced that you ought to come. And so you're standing or you're sitting here and listening and, and maybe you, you're not even a Quite familiar with what I mean when I say the gospel. Maybe you think, you know, is he talking about a, a music style? Is he talking about, uh, you know, a style of church life? What's he talking about? No, you know, gospel music hasn't changed my life. What, what does he mean? Others of you, you you might be thinking, well, you know, I, I've I've believed the gospel and I I'm excited that I'm not going to hell. <laughs> you know, the, and and that's kind of your level of of. It, interaction with the gospel is it's the good news that jesus died for my sins so i wouldn't have to die and so you sit here and you say well it's changed my life in the sense that i have assurance that when i die i know where i'm going but i don't know that it's really kind of moved the needle as it relates to how i live here and now and i think the scriptures would have to say that there's there's more to be done in your life if that's the case and maybe you're in the room and, and you have experienced the power of the gospel. You understood what, uh, what the writer of Amazing Grace was saying when, when it said, a, a wretch like me, a wretched person like me, that I was lost, but now I'm found. And, and you've experienced going from, from darkness and death and debauchery now to light and life and glory. And you say, yes, I know what it is to have experienced the grace of God in the gospel. Where are you? Has the gospel really made a difference in your life? If you were to look at your, your priorities at work, would you be able to say that there was a, a time B.C. before Christ and a time A.D. In, in, in the year of our Lord? If I, if I asked you to talk to me about your finances, would you be able to say, yes, this is how I... I prioritized how I spent my money and now I steward it differently knowing that it's not my money but God's? Or has your life remained largely the same? Paul is writing to this group and and he's encouraged by what God has done and is doing and will do in their life. Uh, And I think for us the encouragement is that he wants to Invite us to let the gospel transform our lives with confidence that that what God has begun, he will bring to completion. I'm going to say that again. He he isn't going to encourage us to allow the gospel to go down and transform us, to change us so that we're we're really different in concrete ways. Knowing that the the bed into which this, this hope of change happens is The the foundation is this understanding that what God has begun, he's going to bring to completion. And so I'm going to look at five different sections. If you want to write these down, you can. You don't have to. We're going to look at Paul's joyful thanksgiving, the reason for his thanksgiving, namely the, the partnership that the Philippians have, the result, which is Paul's confident expectation, and then he's going to swing back to the reason that he's thankful and confident, that partnership. And then finally, he's going to talk about his affection. So Paul begins this letter, and he's, he's saying, I'm thankful. I'm, I'm thankful. He says, I give thanks to my, uh, sorry, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayers with joy. Paul begins the body of this letter by giving thanks. And one of the things that we should note is that Paul thanks God for what he sees as progress in the life of the Philippians. Paul thanks God for what he sees as progress in the life of the Philippians. For all that the the Philippians have done to obey and follow Christ, Paul is thankful to whom? He's thankful to God. And when you see evidences of God's grace, when you see evidences of change in your life, when you see things beginning to shift towards greater obedience to God, towards greater fruitfulness, towards greater experience of His power and presence, you can be assured that it's God who is at work in your life. Have you become more kind over time? Then you can thank God. He's at work. Do you ever have those moments where where you're asking yourself, God, where are you? What are you doing? You know, I was listening to... One pastor say it, and I've heard it quoted a number of times as it relates to our progress in life and in our professional pursuits, but it's true of the Christian life as well that we, un- we overestimate what, what we can accomplish in one year, and we underestimate what we can accomplish in five. And so sometimes we stand in the mirror and we look at ourselves and we're considering the last two weeks of our own wretched disobedience the fight that we had with our spouse, the mean thing we said to our, our, our son or daughter, the, the frustrating uh, attitude that we had on the road, the, the fear that we, we harbor over the future. And we say, God, where are you? And what I think Paul would encourage us to say is to say, step back a little bit and let's take a wider assessment of God's grace in your life. Maybe the last two weeks have been a mess Maybe the last two months have been a mess. Maybe the last two years have been a mess. But if you look at the span of your life, can you see evidences of God's grace? If you can, we don't want to take that for granted. We want to say, God, you are at work. With Paul, we want to say, I want to thank God in all my remembrances of of you because, God, you are at work. Have you faithfully given out of the overflow of thanksgiving to God? Have you been able to forgive and walk out forgiveness by not holding a grudge? You know, sometimes we look at our life and we we'll say, well, I'm not like Pastor Jermaine. And I'm not like Mike on stage. I'm not like Brittany is singing. I mean, I'm not doing these kind of upfront and, and ministerial things. But God's saying, well, you're being kind to your spouse. You're sacrificing. I want to encourage you, family, that God is at work. And I want to give you a moment. Just take a moment. Give you 10 seconds, reflect on one or two things or 10 things or whatever comes to mind on things where you see, I know that God's at work. And spouses, if you know something about your spouse, just take, just, we won't listen, just go whisper to your spouse something that that you see about an evidence of God's grace in their life. I'm gonna give you 10 seconds right now, go. It's good. There's gonna be some marital kissing later, you know? It's an encouragement. You're supposed to encourage one another. Um, Be encouraged that God is at work in your life. Amen? God is at work in your life. He thanks God. And not only does he thank God, he's pretty uh, passionate in his expression. He says, whenever he thinks of them, he thanks God. He goes to great lengths to make it clear how emphatically thankful he feels. He says, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy. So in one sentence, he uses the word all or or some sort of form of the word all three times. He is thankful for what God is doing. Um... And, and this is instructive. What we want to do is we want to see, okay, these guys, they have something going. The Philippians have something going. If you were to go and survey the other letters that Paul writes, they're not so happy. He does give thanks to God, but a lot of times it's like, I'm thankful, God, that you have made a promise that I'm still waiting to see fulfilled in the lives of these people. But whereas with with the Philippians, he's, he's thankful for, for what they're doing. And so we want to, we want to ask ourselves, what. About the Philippians has so pleased the foremost of the apostles of God. We ought to pay attention here. And so, so why is Paul thankful? We go from, from his thankfulness to his reason for thankfulness, namely gospel partnership. He says this in verse 5 because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, because of your partnership. With the gospel from the first day until now. So, from the beginning of this church, from their initial expression of faith in God to now, the Philippians have partnered with Paul in the advancement of the gospel. Now, your Bible may actually say fellowship. Um, I, I didn't actually survey all the versions, but the, the word behind that word partner is is koinonia. It just means fellowship. But it doesn't just mean fellowship because when, don't raise your hand, but if you've raised, raised if, you, if you've been raised in the church, you have an idea of what fellowship is. It's, it's drinking coffee after the service in the lobby, right? That's fellowshipping. It's, it's having, you know, oh, how are you? That's nice to know, Sarah, thanks. Okay, I'll pray for you. And then you immediately forget what they said. And, and you go and, and you, you try to keep it together before you get to lunch so that you don't, you know, reveal how hangry you really are. Um, I'm just speaking of myself. I'm not talking about you guys. You know, maybe that's you. That's not fellowship as Paul is talking about it. That's why the ESV translates it as as partnership. And real partnership requires what? Sacrifice. When you marry someone and you become their their partner, their spouse, you you are sacrificing your own individual identity so that you could create this, this paired identity. When you... When you go into business and you partner with someone else, there's an expectation that if it's a real partnership, you're putting something down. Usually money or or expertise and time. And you're sacrificing something to bring it to the table to create this shared experience, this partnership. For the Philippians, they had given for the sake of the gospel consistently. If you were to go to Acts chapter 16, I mentioned it last uh, last week. Uh, you, you see this woman Lydia, and she's wealthy. She's well off, and and she she hosts Paul. She opens up her house. She and and hosting was more than just hey come on by. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll feed you a meal, then you go. No, she was opening up her life. Her her she was providing for him. It's likely that they might have even met at her house. Uh, she was providing a way for the gospel to go forward. He gets arrested in Philippi and, and goes to jail. And the, there's this whole thing I mentioned that happens where God frees him and he's about to walk out and, and the Philippian jailer is about to take his own life because in that time, if you were a guard or you were guarding people and you, you failed to guard them, they would take your life. And so he said, I'm going to go ahead and take care of my own life. Uh, but, but Paul stops him and says, stop. No, don't do this. Everyone is still in place. It's okay. You're not going to lose your life. And he is so thankful that he goes and takes them to his house. He he cleans them up. He feeds them. He provides and he gives on behalf of this gospel offer that Paul has. It's not transactional. It's not that, you know, if you do this, I'll do this. But there's an overflow of thanksgiving that results in them giving. There's an overflow of of thankfulness that results in, in giving. They have this gospel partnership. And and it's not only in the beginning, we see that it's kind of this consistent experience that they have. In fact, if we go on, we're going to hear more about this, but in chapter 4, Paul reflects on the giving that they've they've had. He he talks about his provision and, and how thankful he is. In, in verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you have... But uh, you had no opportunity. Then he goes on and he says, but you took an opportunity by, by sending someone to give me a gift. And he, they send this guy named Epaphroditus. It's a fun name. Uh, and Epaphroditus delivers not only the gift of, of, we think, money and maybe supplies, but also the gift of just expressing God's love. I mean, can you imagine? Paul's in prison. He's caring for these churches. It's very likely that he has moments where he feels like depressed and, and distraught and upset that, that his success in ministry looks like being imprisoned, being alone, being shackled. And so their, their overflow of love for this man because of what God has done through him results in them giving to him and trying to encourage him. So they send Epaphroditus and they minister this gift, they give this gift. And he says, I have received full payment in verse 18 and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And I believe that both Paul and the Philippians knew that this was, certainly it was relational. They had a personal relationship with Paul, but it was not only relational. The way that Paul talks about it as a sacrifice and an aroma to God means that they were were doing something to God by doing something for Paul, amen? And I'm preaching to the choir because you're here at church, but that's why God puts us in church. You can say all day long, I love God, I follow God, he's good. But it isn't until you can look other people in the eye who might reject you, hurt you, make you feel bad, and you say, you know what, I'm gonna extend love to you anyways, that we can have confidence that our love for God is real. For the Philippians, the good news about Jesus was met by the Philippians not just with reception and relief, oh man, I'm not going to hell, but with a life response. They received the gospel. They were relieved that God had made a way for them to be forgiven of their sins and given eternal life through Jesus Christ, but their response didn't end there. They were compelled to see the gospel continue and move forward. Have you partnered with God in the gospel? Christian, God intends you and I not just to, to receive the good news like a ticket to a party and to put that in our back pocket for the day that we close our eyes here on earth. He expects us to respond, sacrificing our time, our energy, our talents for the advancement of the gospel. What does that look like? What does it look like for us to do like do this? It looks like using all that we have, our time, our talents, our energy, our finances in a way that that shows that we're giving God priority and it's not just something I'll get to later. It it changes. I remember the change in my own life because I remember as a kid thinking, man, I, I, I believe in Jesus, but these people talk about it all the time. They talk about it all the time. I remember listening to the radio and asking my dad, why are there so many songs about love? You know, I'm like elementary, maybe middle school. I'm just like, ugh, there's so many other things. Have you seen the Ninja Turtles? Can we get some better songs? (laughs) There's so many topics of conversation. Why? But for someone who's been captivated by the gospel, your life is is now revolving around Jesus. It's not just that he is one, one star in the constellations of your life. No, he is now the sun. He's the thing around which our lives revolve. The Philippians had a deep trust in God and a commitment to the gospel that led them to give. So what's the result? This is the glorious result. Listen to this with me. And I, verse 6, am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion At the day of Jesus Christ. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. Paul tells the Philippians that, in light of the way that they've embraced the gospel, that he has confidence that God, who's clearly at work in their life, will finish what he starts. When you and I can identify God's evidences of grace in our life, we can have confidence that God is at work. And if God's at work, then he's going to finish what he starts. Sometimes you get to the end of the week and you say, God, I don't know, am I saved? Maybe your spouse looks at you and says, I don't know, are you saved? The one's laughing more, know that's real. And, and you look at your life and you're, you're asking yourself, I, I know I said I trusted God, but man, what is this mess? And it's in moments like that that I want to encourage you, yes, repent of the mess, repent of whatever sins you need to repent of, deal with that before the Lord. We certainly don't need to walk in unrepentant sin and disobedience, but we also don't need to fall into despair because if I see just even a shred of grace in my life, I'm going to celebrate that God is at work. Some of you, out of the overflow of of thanksgiving, you give to support our, our campus ministers. And that can be an encouragement that God is at work in your own life. Some of you, in response to God's love for you, give faithfully and sacrificially to our church, and that can be an encouragement that God is at work in our life. And I don't mean to belabor the aspect of giving monetarily, except that where we give our money really identifies what we believe about God and provision. It's not just that, hey, I want you to give to the church because we need things. No, I want you to give because there's something about saying that we believe something with our resources, that, that really expresses the reality of our faith. It's not magic. It doesn't, it doesn't strong arm God as though, you know, if I give, then he's going to do X, Y, or Z. No, it's I'm going to give because I know that my God is faithful. And I'm going to give because I know that God is God, not money. Some of you inspired to see God move in the nations. Give to our missionary efforts. You gave to people who went to Cuba. You've given to South Africa. And that can be an encouragement that God is at work. Now, I want to broaden the, the, the application. Paul here, he's speaking to a group that they have given monetarily. They have given out of the resources. But I think that we can apply this, this idea that God being at work in us and, and finishing what he starts even more broadly. Put your finger in Philippians and we'll, we'll slide over to 1 Corinthians at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. Now, the Corinthians are, um, that church is a mess, uh, it is a big mess. Uh, they've got problems in the way they do church. People are getting drunk during the Lord's Supper. They, they've got interrelational problems, moral problems. They, uh, they're not a church that Paul is expressing joy about. But Paul makes this interesting statement in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 and following. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not even lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, I thank God for the grace that you guys have received. I saw that you received God's grace. He doesn't say you partnered with me or anything like that, but I saw that you believed the gospel, that you responded in faith. And verse 8, and he says... Um, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift, verse 7, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 8, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his son. What is Paul saying there? He's saying, I saw, you rece- I saw evidences of grace in your life. And because I saw evidences of grace in your life, I know this, that God is faithful by whom you were called. And God is going to sustain you to the end. Now, it's funny because he's, (laughs) with with the Corinthians, he's like, God's going to sustain you. I'm praying, I'm praying. He's not so much like what he began, he's, you know, he's building this edifice of God's glory, but he's saying that I know that God will sustain you. And sometimes we're in, that's what we need. Sometimes our life, it, it calls for just God, tell me that you're going to sustain me. And, and that God is going to sustain you, Christian. Beloved, God is going to sustain you. But I want you to know that there is available to you more than God sustaining you. He wants to build you up. Not to build, you know, Eddie Barnes brand, but so that you could be a conduit of God's grace and that you can build up the Jesus Christ brand. Amen? He wants to sustain you and he wants to build you up. What he has begun, he will bring to completion. And he goes on and he says, in light of this in verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way because I hold you in your heart in my hearts. Why? Because you're partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. That word partakers, it's 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 just a slight left turn from partners. You 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 guys are. You're partakers with me in the confirmation of the gospel, in my defense of the gospel, and in my imprisonment. He goes and he elaborates the fact that you guys have partnered with me in real ways. And as I said, they sent Epaphroditus with a gift. But I want you to reflect on your own life. Who has God placed in your life um, that you could bless today with an encouragement? Who, who have you received encouragement from? Who have you helped to mature, um, who has helped you to mature in your faith? What are the what are the names and the faces that are coming to mind? And then how could you encourage them today? You could text them. Make sure you text the right number, not the wrong number. He's, he's, he does so. He, he says, I'm so thankful for your participation, and I'm thankful for the, the encouragement that I received through Epaphroditus. And then he goes on and he talks about this, what I called his Christ-like affection in verse 8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul ends this section by saying that he yearns to be with them with the same affection that Christ has for them, that Jesus himself has for them. That's a bold statement. He's saying, guys, I love you with the love that Christ has for you. But what we can draw from this is that 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 he understands himself to be a conduit of Jesus' love in their life. How do do we know that Jesus loves us? How do you know that God loves you? One of the ways that you know is when people love you. When, When you experience the grace of God and people express their love to you when probably you didn't deserve it, you didn't earn it, you shouldn't be receiving it. For For Paul, he was in prison, and many people would have judged him as being someone shameful to be associated with him, but they were pouring out the love of Jesus Christ by by sharing their love with him, and he was doing the same. The the Philippians, they were this group of people that that he wanted to show God loves you, and I'm going to send this letter and encouragement to you so that you know that God loves you. Again, this is why it's so important, family, for better or worse, whatever, whatever warts or, or blemishes that, that this church has, which I'm sure that it does, that you stay connected. If not this church, then another gospel-centered, God-glorifying, word-preaching church where, where you can hear and see of God's love, not just, not just in the Bible by yourself, but experienced in community, and that's not just when, when everyone's saying nice things and we're having fellowship and eating donuts. That's when, when someone comes into your life and, and, and a Pastor Duke enters into my life and says, Eddie, there's some things that I think God wants to do differently, differently in your life. That's when, when there's loving criticism and there's loving direction and loving uh, calling up. At other times, it's loving comfort saying, you can do this. I'm so sorry that your heart's broken. You can do this. It's it's having people in our lives to look at us in the eyes and say, I love you with the affection of Christ Jesus. We're not trying to be haughty or prideful or to say, you know, look at me like I'm Christ. It's saying, I I want to let you know that I know that God loves you. And I want you to experience that love right now. Amen? Amen. So, how has the gospel affected your life? As I said before, maybe you're in the room and you're, you're kind of like, well, I don't know. My encouragement to you is that, that Jesus has come to express the love of God. That we're all in this terrible situation of being rebels, outlaws, criminals in God's country. God's heavenly country, his, his overall country that is the existence of the world. And that apart from any act of his, we deserve punishment. But God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I would invite you, if you've never believed that, never trusted that, for you to trust in Jesus Christ today. If you're here and and you're, you know, you're a young Christian, not necessarily have to be young, physically you can be young, just in your your walk with God, can I encourage you that, that God's at work And wherever you can identify, and others in you, others around you can identify evidence of grace. I want you to let that be fuel for your life. Some of you have been walking for a long time, and you have opportunity to minister the affection of Jesus Christ to those in your life. You've got people in your spheres of influence that you need to look at them and say, "I see God's grace in your life in these four ways." I want to encourage you in these four ways that God is at work in your life and he loves you. And family, for all of you, I I just, I want to encourage you that, that you're here. You're at church. It's a rainy day. You could be at home sleeping, resting, but you're here. And in my mind, that's an evidence that God is at work in your life, amen? And I'm thankful for that. And I want to tell you that God, he loves you. And what he's begun, he's going to bring to completion. He's going to do it, not because you and I are so great or we're, we're super effective in our life, but because God is good and he finishes what he starts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you are at work in our life. Lord, for those who've been struggling, it's been a, a rough week, a rough month, month a rough year. Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes to see gospel grace, to be encouraged that you've not left them, you've not forsaken them, that you're at work. And God, I pray that you would inspire each of us to be generous in giving people evidences of grace, of of saying, you know what, I, I just see God at work in your life. I just, I'm so thankful for how God's making you a kinder person, a more patient person, a more generous person, a more holy person. God, I pray that you would inspire the families in this, in this room to be an encouragement to one another. Husbands to, to speak words of life to their wives, wives to speak words of life to their husbands, parents to speak words of life to their families. And God, I pray that your love would flow, that we would be conduits of your grace conduits of your love and that we bring glory to your name in all this, in Jesus' name, amen. Love you, family.